Martin Schneider. And I'm Dan Ludwig. And this is the story of two guys who decided to watch every episode of The Andy Griffith Show for some reason. Essentially out of spite. Out of spite. Why are two guys in their mid-20s in 2018 talking about The Andy Griffith Show, a show that has not been on the air for... 40 years? I think 50. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But it's this, like, massive piece of Americana. It's, like, an important part of our culture, I guess? I didn't think that this show was going to be very relevant. When when you said you wanted to start watching this, my I thought I was going to basically be squeezing blood from the stone in terms of political relevancy. Yeah, I thought there was no... I made it as a joke, right? Yeah, yeah. And now, like, having watched watched it, it feels, especially in these, like, apocalyptic times, like, the, the idea that maybe, like, stuff's ending now, it feels like we're sort of watching the beginning to the end. It the, feels like The epigenesis, wa- yeah. It feels like watching something, like, an original sin, like, an original corruption, because, like, you're, it, it, it's this perfect little, like, Norman Rockwell portrayal of Americana- and every every episode just some some ev- some weird fucking evil shit slips in and more and more each episode there's an underlying darkness to mayberry which honestly maybe that will be the name of the podcast the underlying darkness of mayberry the dark side of mayberry the dark side of mayberry um and i think i think there's there's an undercurrent of darkness to a lot of the whole, like, Americana thing. Um, Over the Garden Wall really tapped into this. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to Night Vale seems to understand it as well. Uh, and the reason why, if uh, you're not familiar with The Andy Griffith Show, it's something that your grandparents seem to love. Uh, it's a television show uh, that premiered in October of 1960, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, that follows a... Small town sheriff from the fictional town of Mayberry, North Carolina, uh, named Sheriff Andy Taylor, played by comedian Andy Griffith. Uh, and he's a single father. His aunt comes to town to take help take care of his young son, played by Ronnie Howard. Ronnie, ha- that's, that name is so unsettling. It's weird to hear Ron Howard talk be referred to as Ronnie. Yeah. It's also weird to see him not wearing a hat to cover up his baldness. Every time yeah. they, they introduce him as Ronnie Howard, I'm always, like, part of me is like, how dare you? It's Ron Howard, acclaimed that is, director. That is Apollo 13 director <laughs> Ron Howard. You are not his friend. You do not get to call him Ronnie. But in this case, he's like a six-year-old. So. Yeah. The reason we decided to do this, though, Dan and I, is that, well, a tweet from a couple of months ago during the Oscars by Mr. Bill O'Reilly, uh, where Bill O'Reilly said, Watching reruns of the Andy Griffith Show tonight instead of the Oscars. PC Nitwits on Parade is not entertainment. Check out BillOReilly.com. No, we're not, I'm not going to fucking yeah, plug Bill O'Reilly. Whatever. Re- weird, sad podcasting phase of his post-relevancy career. Like, the, yeah, honestly, the YouTube channel phase of his career. Honestly, if there's any goal I have for this, I want two dudes talking about Andy Griffith to be more popular on download charts than... Bill O'Reilly. That's really the goal for this. I can't believe it, but that's actually, a, I feel like that's a pretty low bar. Like, we can do this. Yeah. We can do this. But it's not just O'Reilly, right? You hear this discussion in politics all the time. Congressmen who are not old enough to remember the Andy Griffith show will say things like, you know, we didn't have school shootings. Back in my day, uh, there was, you know, Andy Griffith and Aunt B taking care of Ronnie. It's, it's, it's a lack of family values. And they like to point to the Andy Griffith show as this, like, touchstone for what family values or what uh, things should be. So I was curious. I was curious, what is it 
about this show that makes it really the simpler times that they are longing for. Well, this fictional show. I want to talk about the gauntlet you threw down at Bill O'Reilly because one of the reasons you wanted to do this podcast was you wanted to count each and every time that something happened on the Andy Griffith show that Bill O'Reilly would have fucking hated. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But, in retrospect, having watched a lot of the Andy Griffith show, I think as we go through that scene by scene, advantage O'Reilly. <laughs> Like, well, what I was what I was thinking of specifically was uh, because this comes up in gun control arguments, hmm. uh, and in later seasons, Andy has a big like monologue about why he doesn't carry a gun. Yeah, yeah, and he's law enforcement, and it's a it's also a joke on the show that Barney Fife is he carries a gun, but he's not allowed to carry bullets. Yeah, because um, he frequently accidentally shoots it. Yeah, into yeah. the floor, ceiling, and direction of people. He uses it like a ruler. Like I'm going to have a lot of screaming to do about Barney Fife. Yeah, he's awful. Like, I mean, there is, it's the weirdest mixture of shit that Bill O'Reilly would have hated and shit that I can't, I imagine even Bill O'Reilly would say, oh, Jesus Christ. At, at times it's, it's, it is genuinely more simple and innocent and wholesome. Andy Griffith doesn't carry a gun and, and sort of speaks to that account. But it also crazily normalizes gun violence. Andy Griffith is is anti carrying a gun, but Barney Barney Fife accidentally shooting a gun off in a room with a child is treated as just like ah. Barney. It's a gag. It's a gag. Yeah. All right. So let's let's not do any further ado in this. Let's get into the. Uh, we're gonna do the first two episodes. Uh, episode one, which premiered on October third, nineteen sixty, uh, is called the New Housekeeper. Directed by uh, series creator Sheldon Leonard. Uh, episode two, which we'll get into, is called The Manhunt. <laughs> it jumps up a level so suddenly. It's, I, like, the first the title. The first one is just, like, the, the overarching conflict is Ronnie Howard is mean. And the second one is there's an escaped convict on the loose and he's taking hostages. <laughs> That's, I mean, episode the, the titles. Episode one, The New Housekeeper. Episode two, the manhunt. <laughs> the man, like it should be in all caps because that's like, the, like no one says manhunt on that entire episode. They scream man- manhunt, manhunt. Oh, we're gonna have to work on our our Don Knotts impressions for I, the duration of the show. My Don Knotts is a Jerry Seinfeld who has been hit by a car. Mine is Jimmy Stewart having a stroke. That, yeah. I mean, I per, I worked on mine a lot. I think the reason you involved me in this, in this show is I, months and months and months ago, I accidentally convinced my roommate that there was an episode of the Andy Griffith show where Don Knotts accidentally shoots a kid and spent an entire increasingly drunk night doing the monologue from Die Hard. Like, it looked real enough, Andy! Oh, God! <laughs> they teach you a lot of things at the academy! They don't teach you how to live with a mistake! I get, yeah, no, see, I, I'm terrible at impressions, and my Don Knotts goes off the rails almost immediately, but my, my strategy's just been Jerry Seinfeld, who has been hit by a car and is slowly bleeding out on the side of the road. But yeah. Episode uh, one! Yeah. I didn't know how relevant that tweet was going to be because it's super feasible that that could be an episode. Yeah, yeah. Episode one, sorry. Episode one. Uh, episode one, um, 
I'll read the Wikipedia description. After the tailor's old housekeeper, Rose, gets married and moves away, Aunt B moves in to take care of Andy and Opie, but Opie will not accept her. So this is this is our table setting episode. This is the pilot that they had to you know, get approved by the network, and it sets up the dynamic of our main characters. And it seems like in the first one, the primary conflict is going to be uh, Andy is trying to teach lessons to his son, who is an asshole. I gotta say, look, I understand it was like 1960. But our standards for what defines a cute kid on television have gone way, way up. I, I'm, I'm genuinely, I've, and this is a thing I think I'm going to be figuring out for a long time. Is the name the kid's name is Opie? His it's, name is Opie. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to just not call him Ronnie. Oh, I can't figure out if Opie is an asshole in the way that children are realistically assholes. Like it, it could just be a really realistic portrayal of how mean a kid can be. For example, interrupting a wedding. Yeah, uh, let, let's start up with the first scene. So the first scene, we are introduced to Andy. He's the sheriff, but he's also a justice of the peace. Mm-hmm. And he's performing a wedding for this couple that apparently has no friends. It's just Andy's former housekeeper and his and her new husband. And they're getting married. And the only people there to witness it are the sheriff, his deputy, and the sheriff's son. And Opie loudly uh, does the... They, they do a whole thing of like... Speak now or forever hold your peace, and they do a whole who's on first back and forth about whether or not Opie is allowed to object, yada yada, and and like which I liked to be honest, it was funny. It yeah. was it was some it was some nice Abbott and Costello like back and forth like semantics shit. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, they ask you to speak your peace, and then they tell you to shut up. It was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, and then and then Andy Griffith makes a joke about beating his kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like. Oh, like, like you're gonna be holding your rear if you don't shut up. Like the so far, the only time he's referenced beating his child, but like, yeah, yeah. Um, but like the entire time that was happening, I was like, is he is is interrupting a wedding because you don't want the person to get married a thing a normal dick kid would do, or is this kid the fucking devil? Like, I can't tell if he's like super not not supernaturally, but like above and beyond the normal capacity. Like, is Opie a sociopath? Uh, that's a good question. We're going to put a pin in that, yeah. and we'll we'll refer back to it in gonna, future episodes. I'm going to ask it so many fucking times. <laughs> the the Opie sociopath watch is going to be like our regular segment on this show. It's going to be a regular segment in my life as I stare out a fucking window drinking whiskey. It uh, is my what is the sound of one hand clapping? Is Opie a sociopath? So so Opie interrupts the wedding because he doesn't want his former housekeeper Rose, who he really likes, to get married and move away and no longer take, you know, to go take care of another man, right? Yeah. Now, Sheriff Taylor, because he's a single dad, I'm assuming he's a widower, um, is unable to take care of this kid by himself. Although, to be honest, we see this kid running around Mayberry unattached all the fucking time. This kid, I, I'm, again, could be the 1950s. This kid like is in charge of himself like no one no one tells opie what to do even vaguely so he's throwing a fit now uh andy has called up his aunt i guess his aunt aunt b which so is uh ron howard's great aunt yeah, Opie's I, great. yeah it was, the, the relationship is not really established it was um 
It, yeah, it was the the woman who raised Sheriff Taylor, who I, again, I, in my head, he's just Andy fucking Griffith, because it's the Andy Griffith show, not the Sheriff Taylor show. Right. But, right, but yeah, no, she's the woman who raised him, who is, who is just, I guess, on deck to consistently raise a child. Like She says that, though. She says that she was, like, bored. Like, she raised a kid, and then she got old, and now she was just sitting there bored, and she got really excited at the idea of raising another kid. Which I think is a night, I guess maybe a 1950s idea of what it is to be an older unmarried woman that she's just like sitting in a crate ready to be like crowbarred open and brought out to raise a child. <laughs> Nanny bod. Yeah. She's just sitting in an empty room eating like just eating what is... stale bread until a child is brought before her to raise. She's she's at like uh, a spinsterage. Yeah. Yeah. There's just it's just like an orphanage where there are just old ladies. Like it's her and then Amelia Bedelia and then like Rosie from the Jets and it's just like a whole line of, of like child rearers. Yeah, just fucking like I, I guess you can just rent them from a fucking store, like <laughs> and get a store credit when you bring them back. <laughs> but so she's very excited. So after a while she it takes her a couple of days to get there. We're treated to a bunch of uh, Barney Fife shenanigans. We're introduced to the deputy Barney Fife, who is very, very letter of the law, um, out of control with this. And we learned the reason why he got this job is because he's Andy's cousin. Can, right? can we take a brief, like, tangent to talk about fucking Barney Fife, the most terrifying character I've ever seen in a goddamn TV show? Yeah, go for it. But, all right, so if you described, if you took Barney Fife and described him as a person existing in modern-day America... You would be so scared shitless of the idea of this person walking around. Because he is a veteran of, in this case, World War II. Right. Very... He, he and Andy both served. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to get into this later because the timeline of this is very strange. Who <laughs> very clearly has some issues as a result of having served. He's super jumpy, super aggressively in need of regulations and validation. Yeah. Like, there's definitely, like, like, and they, they, he mentions the war as a reason why Barney is really uptight and jittery. So, vague hints that Barney might have what they, what they're, a 1950s understanding of uh, PTSD. Who is super, one, constantly waving around a firearm because that he is, as we mentioned before, not allowed to have bullets in because the sheriff is actually afraid of him shooting someone. He's that unhinged. And he often will tell you that he is unhinged and dangerous. At one point he says, when I get going, you need to be there to stop me. I'm dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and the joke of that is that this, like, meek, mild man, like, like meek, tiny, skinny old man is not dangerous. That's supposed to be the gag. And but he, he very much is. He's... He's yeah. He is a police officer who is constantly looking for ways to aggressively wield his authority, and often bemoans how little crime there is because he doesn't get to arrest people. He's basically Nick Frost character in Hot Fuzz, like where he's complaining about not getting proper action and shit. Yeah, yeah. But but also like. He's the way that a modern-day corrupt police officer views the police officer that accidentally shoots a kid. Where, like, he's like, oh, that's just Barney. You know, he's not, he's not a bad guy. Not a bad guy. He's just a little, he's just a little trigger-happy. He accidentally shot that guy. Oh, you know Barney. He's not, he's not bad. He, like, he's the sort of, he's the way that 
that that wildly unqualified cops are viewed by the police officers that enable him. Like he he he's sort of like this the template like for it, it, again it, it's sort of back to the thing of feeling like this is where something went wrong that like I think for generations like shitty cop behavior has just been like oh he's just being a Barney yeah like, just a, just a Barney five also yeah. Cherry and they make a joke out of this early on not at all qualified to have his job hired because of nepotism he yeah. is the sheriff's cousin yep let's move forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. Aunt May gets there. Aunt May. Aunt B gets there. <laughs> it's like muscle memory. Right, right. Aunt B gets there, and she's very excited to be raising another child. Uh, and she thinks it's going to be just like raising uh, Annie, but it is not. Opie might be a sociopath? Opie's kind of a spoiled brat. Opie uh, is constantly coming at her 24-7. Like, he is... On her shit about everything that she is not able to do, even a little bit. Right, which is stuff like hunting a frog or swinging a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah. stupid kid shit. Yeah, stupid kid shit, which I get it. A kid would care about that. And so there, there are some jokes at Aunt B's expense. Uh, Aunt tries to show how good she is at these things. Like, no, Aunt B can swing a baseball and hands her the bat and she holds it upside down. Yeah. Takes some fishing and Aunt B is like not even got her pole in the water. You know, a couple of, a couple of gags like that. But what she can do, because what a woman can do, is she can cook. And she can cook great chicken and dumplings. Yeah. So there's this whole subplot where Ron Howard, I'm sorry, where Ronnie, Ronnie. Opie, uh, doesn't want to admit that he likes the cooking. So he, like, sneaks it upstairs and pretends that he fed the the chicken to his bird. Yeah. Um, and there's a prolonged bit about Andy Griffith, like... Oh, like, must be a pterodactyl able to eat that much chicken. Like, it's... Or, or he calls it a vulture or some shit. Opie says that he wants to run away from home. Yeah. And Andy's like, well, you're not supposed to tell your folks you're running away from home, but I'll help you write the note. Which is a gag that they use again in a couple of episodes. Oh, fuck. But, yeah. But much darker. When, yeah. When yeah, way darker. No, we'll, we'll get to it then. The Amber yeah. Alert he causes. We'll get to that in a future episode. And so it's 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 folksy. It's uh, and then the final punchline of this episode is Aunt B's like just about had it, and she's just about to give up. Oh, there's also a bit about the bird escaping. The bird Ye- flies away, and then and then the bird comes back. No, that's bullshit. They got another bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and, oh my god, I didn't realize that at the time. Oh yeah, no, they totally got a different bird. I am as dumb as that child. <laughs> uh, the final gag is that Aunt B's about to go away, but then. Opie says, no, we have to keep her. What's she going to do? She can't even catch frogs or play baseball. How can she live? We have to keep her to take care of her. And everybody gets a good laugh. And then and Andy plays guitar and he plays the theme song, The Fish in Hole. So a yeah. weird thing is that resolution was weirdly Seinfeldian in that like it, it sort of adhered to like the no hugging, no learning thing in the most fucked up way because... Like, they do, there is hugging, but the lesson that LP learns is this, like, they, the show ends and he has failed as a parent because Opie doesn't understand, like, empathy towards this woman that is his caretaker. He is <laughs> still openly, like, insolent towards the, uh, towards this woman who is basically a mother figure to him and he's like, ah, oh, well, he's gonna obey, so close enough, like. Yeah, exactly, exactly, like, uh. Opie's whole shtick at the end there is just like, like, he thinks of himself as the caretaker for her. 
Which, you know, I get, you know, I'm not a parent, but maybe if you gotta trick your kid into thinking this is their idea, which I think is the idea behind it, uh, maybe that's a good thing. But, like, I think it's a bad idea to have your child be, like, openly disrespectful of your, like, competency as a human being. Yeah, no, like, the, the child to think he's the boss of you. I, again, and again, like, this, this is a sitcom staple, right? Like, this is not exclusive yeah. to the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, again, like, it's, it's, it's more fucked up than, like, you, than, than it should be for the tone. Like, which is a weird thing that keeps happening where it's like, oh, that's not super messed up for a sitcom. It's definitely super messed up for the way this sitcom is presenting it. Okay, and that's something I want to get into. Now, we, we're kind of rushing through the first episode, because the first episode's boring. The it's first episode, I, I watched the first episode, and I was like, we're, I'm gonna have nothing to goddamn talk yeah, about. Yeah. Like, There's one thing, you mentioned the way that the, the show is presented. This show premieres October 2nd, 1960. It is 1960, and I want to keep that in mind. We are about to elect John F. Kennedy. The Kennedy-Nixon debate. I looked up at the stuff that was happening in nineteen in October of 1960. It's time. Why the hell does everything feel like the Great Depression in this show? They have cars and they reference, uh, you know, the war. But everything feels like very, uh, very, oh, brother, where art thou-ish. You know, right? Like, lots of, like, hobos, like, stealing pies off windows and shit. I kind of have a theory about that. It's It's working, but... One thing I noticed about the first episode that carries through all the other ones is nothing matters except people's feelings. There's no real stakes whatsoever, even for things where there should be stakes. The only thing, ma- thing that matters is, is someone's feelings hurt? Is someone upset? And I think it's sort of during this really tumultuous time in America where there's a bunch of... Everyone has shell shock from this massive war that just happened. We're going into a period of massive social upheaval. I think Mayberry is supposed to be like this almost Narnia-esque world where like it's 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 still the Great Depression, but it's also modern times and nothing matters and there's there's no real crime. There's fake crime. I think it's supposed to be like a fantasy land? Well, that's that's kind of that's kind of the point I'm getting at with this, right? Is that everybody refers to this show as like the way things used to be and the way things ought to be, but even when it premiered, it was anachronistic. It was an escapist vehicle from the get-go. So it was not even accurate for the time that it was that it came out. And as we go further into the 60s, I'm very curious how this goes. Like does does Opie get into the Beatles? You know, what, do, do they land on the moon in Mayberry? Does anyone talk about that? You know, cause we're going through like a huge tumultuous time. And remember, with most television shows, again, not exclusive to the Andy Griffith show, but you gotta figure the age of the people writing and producing it. Mm-hmm. Right? The reason why, uh, the Andy Griffith show feels like it's the 1930s to the early 1940s is because you know, they thought of this as like a father and son vehicle, and the frame of reference for all the writers and stuff on this was their childhoods. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I like to use this reference whenever I can talk about it. It's like that weird episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch where Sabrina gets really excited to meet the violent femmes. I should have watched Sabrina the Teenage Wish for that. You should have given me a primer that this was going to be a subject I would need to engage in. There's 
There's a, there's another podcast uh, called Sabrina the Teenage Watch, which is three British dudes watching every episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But there's an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch where Sabrina and friends are very excited to meet the violent femmes. And it makes no fucking sense because there's no reason why any teenager in 1999 would be excited to meet the violent femmes. You know who likes the violent femmes? The 45-year-old men <laughs> writing that episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So I always think about that whenever I look at, like, terrible anachronistic sitcoms. It's like, think about who was writing and creating this. Yeah, I mean, there is sort of a thing of, uh, Andy Griffith is a dad figure, but you can sort of tell he's the dad that an adult in the the 1950s wishes they had had. Now, according, according to Wikipedia, Andy's character changes in the latter seasons. Like, he's more of a, uh... Real stoic figure. In these early episodes, he's kind of a, like, goof off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reference another television show right now. It's kind of like the latter episodes of King of the Hill, where, uh, like, they cranked up the silliness of everybody else to 11, so that Hank could be the, like, stoic solid one. Uh, I think that's the part that Andy Griffith falls into. And I think it's okay for us to keep referencing all these other television sitcoms, because, like, a lot of, a lot of TV dads draw from Andy Griffith. Yeah. He's kind of, uh, more so than uh, whatever the hell Ward Cleaver, right? Yeah. Like, Ward Cleaver did not have the staying power that Andy Griffith does. I don't totally know who Ward Cleaver is, so case in point. Yeah, all right. Leave it to Beaver. Oh, right, yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm really interested to find out what the fuck happens with Andy Griffith in later seasons, because more than him being bumbling in season one, he is a little bit bumbling. He's always right in every episode. I, I think Manhunt will sort of introduce my thesis in this. I think Andy Griffith, might, season one Andy Griffith at least, might be the goddamn devil. Like, <laughs> and season one Andy Griffith has an acidic relationship with the law. I, I mean, if you're going to tell me that the devil is a like charming North Carolina sheriff, fuck yeah, I'll buy by that. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, no, he's the, the devil talks like Foghorn Leghorn. I think we've agreed on that as a society. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, I mean, Andy, like... He takes a real flexible view with morality, the law. Basically, he uses the concept of the greater good to get away with a lot of bullshit. And and the thing is that's kind of freaky is the the show always validates like Andy Griffith is always right. At Andy the end is of the never wrong, uh, except when it comes to women. But he's still re- he's still rewarded by that point. Oh, t- yeah. Again, that's I need three hours to discuss Andy Griffith and women, which I never thought would be a thing. I would need three hours to talk the, about the girlfriend we know in this first season. By the way, is not his girlfriend in later seasons. What? That's what. Spoiler alert. I yeah no. I'm I'm aggressively refusing to read the Wikipedia page because apparently, like, uh, they they deflanderize Andy Griffith in uh, as they go, and I'm really interested to see if he's less bumbling. But also still a monster. Let's find out. All right, well, so let's move straight into that to episode two, The Manhunt, which premiered a week later, uh, October 10th, directed by uh, Hollywood director Don Weiss, uh, who directed like the next eight episodes. So we're going to hear his name a lot. The tonal shift between episode one and episode two is 
abruptly Don Knotts coming into the room and screaming, Manhunt! Manhunt! We got a manhunt! Like, honestly, or, uh, he also used the term, like, Dragnet! Yeah, because they're still doing episode one at the beginning of the episode. They're like, oh, this is the way you catch a fish. You use ham. And then Don Knotts kicks his way onto the set and is like, Manhunt! We got a manhunt! <laughs> kicks his way onto the set, which is outdoors, yeah. by the way. Because they're, they're, they're on a lake. A different show punches its way onto the show you're watching, and suddenly it's the fucking shield where a, a, a sheriff is breaking the law to enforce the law and in a dangerous game of wits with an escaped criminal. And he's not getting any support by the higher-ups. Yeah! The feds who don't understand it. Yeah, so yeah, but you mentioned it, right? We should mention that because it, it plays into this. So, uh... The show opens with Andy and Opie out on the lake. Uh, they're enjoying some father-son bonding. They're catching fish together using a ham sandwich. Mm. And they have to paddle back to shore very quickly, which is, like, they're only, like, 20 feet out. Like, they were barely out there, like, but yeah. they have to paddle back out real quick because the boat forms a hole. I, I think it should be it should be established early on that they treat the sinking boat like a very serious issue that they could potentially getting a lot of trouble for they are in a pond they're not they they call it a lake it is a pond it yeah, is yeah. it is mini golf course size pond yeah a- andy andy griffith is what like six two he could stand up and just carry opie on his shoulders and walk away yeah like it is in no way a crisis they whatsoever. are in zero danger but they need to establish like being on this sinking boat in this pond is a big fucking deal yeah it's it's a Chekhov's gun yeah right like there are a lot of Chekhov's guns that they establish, including an actual gun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're out on the lake, but then Barney drives up in his car, uh you know, vehicle or siren still going, old timey siren, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um and he says that an escape, a criminal escaped from prison and uh the state police think he may be coming this way. Should it should it be the rule that we have to do a shitty Don Knotts impression every time we quote Don Knotts? Um uh, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would get really like long I feel like it would be getting really tiring to listen to after a while. We're gonna listen to this episode, see how agonizing it is to hear us do a Don Knotts impression and make the call based off of that. It, that's fair, that's fair. Alright. It, it, it sonically may be just like acid upon the brain. I don't know that I can not do a Don Knotts impression. I mean, It'll be harder for me not to do they're it. G- they're gonna happen. So Don Knotts pulls up as Barney and says, "We have a manhunt." Uh, Andy, we have a manhunt. <laughs> we must away. <laughs> <laughs> so he calls. He calls the sheriff back to uh, back to his office. Back to his office, which is also the jail cell, mm-hmm. right? And they kick out. This is the first time we see Otis, the town drunk, who's going to be a recurring character on the show. Uh, they say, Otis, you gotta go. You know, he was sitting there in the drunk tank, and Otis is just like, oh, okay, well, uh, good thing I gotta, I gotta get out of here anyway. I gotta go to choir practice. And yeah. that's a joke, right? That the town drunk is going to choir practice. I mean, you know. it's, it, it, it sort of establishes the, the status quo of crime in Mayberry that, like, it's almost sort of a game. Like, like, they, the, everyone's, like, there's no hard feelings about crime in Mayberry, because they let Otis lock himself out of the jail. Like, the joke is, Otis could have left any time, and they're just like, see you next week, Otis! And, like, they have an arrangement, like, it's, 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 it's a Candyland version of crime. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep referring to Hot Fuzz, because I refer to Hot Fuzz all the time. Of but course. Yeah, again, hot, it's uh, the same deal in Hot Fuzz, where there's just, it's a small town, so it's a joke that even the, uh, 
chief of police's son, who is a, a constable himself, they're just like, oh, he'll be, uh, he'll, it's fine. He'll just, yeah. uh, he'll buy, he'll buy everybody ice cream. Yeah. And, and that's his punishment for drunk driving. Yeah. yeah no, basically. So, so, yeah, so this, this trope, uh, probably originates there. Of, of sort of non-crime as a joke, or fake crime as a joke. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, I'm gonna keep trying to come up with a term for this. Sure, sure. Griffith crime! Griffith crime! Um... So yeah, the joke is that, you know, the town drunk reaches through the bars, he grabs the keys, he lets himself out, and they're like, alright, cool. We got, cause they gotta clear him out of the jail, because, in case they catch that criminal, cause they got like two jail cells. And Don yeah. Knotts, and this is, it's sort of presented as a joke, but, it, again, it's one of those things that feels weirdly sinister, where Don Knotts is really insecure about the lack of crime in their town, and is like, oh, they'll judge us for the lack of crime in our town, Andy! Like, is, that one, I feel like I got a little bit of Don Knotts on that one. You're close. You're I got close. a piece of it. You're close. Um, but yeah. there, are, there are eight seasons. Let's pace ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be fucking... I'm going to have this refined to an artful Don Knotts by the end. Like, it'll right, be right. like we dug him up and electrocuted him back to life. So, he's, he's concerned about the lack of crime. He, uh, because he, he he wants to, like, look big in front of these state police guys that are showing up. But... Yeah, because they don't want to... That's right. They don't want to let Otis go. Yeah. He's upset. Like, we can't let Otis go. He's our only prisoner. Yeah. And... But it's sort of like just the idea of a of a police officer being insecure about the lack of uh, people he has locked up. Like, it's, sort of, it's presented as something quaint, but the at the moment... Like, I, I saw that, and a shiver went down, like, my spine. I was like, oh! I mean, it's, I mean, it's gonna be the first time where I'm actually kind of happy there's no black people in Mayberry. God damn it. If there were... Like, I I don't know if that's going... If, like, are there gonna be black people in Mayberry later on? Is What no. is Barney going to do to them? No. No. Oh, God. Which is the real reason why, like, Bill O'Reilly really likes the idea of Mayberry. Oh. Like, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh... It's, I, I think there is sort of the, the, the connection in their heads of like, like, may, like they, no one is, none of these people are going to say it out loud, but in Bill O'Reilly's fucking head, like, he's like, look at this town with no black people and no crime. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so Barney's insecure and, uh, the state police show up and to, like, consult with local law enforcement. And in this and this this is also a theme in the show, is that anybody who is not from Mayberry is a dick. Mm-hmm. Right? And they just kind of make fun of, of Mayberry. So they show up. They have this uh, this, ma- this map that they show up. Uh, Barney and Andy are fucking amazed by the concept of magnets. Yeah. Like, they're just shocked that there's maps uh, that, that are made of metal and magnets that they can stick to. There is, like... I think conservatively three reoccurring bits of Andy trying to figure out magnets. Like, <laughs> he gets a, I think, three minute monologue on how they don't have magnets in the town. They have pins, but also they're out of pins because they. They use the last one for a sewing competition for like, I don't know, the, whatever they're, like a church thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh,. So they're really, like, just amazed by this newfangled technology that the state police come down. The state police come down and, uh, the, uh, the, off- the officer in charge, uh, gives out the assignments. Andy does a little bit of local policing. Uh, he points out that, um, all they've done is cover the main roads and an escaped convict would probably be covering some of the side roads that we've got here in Mayberry. And that, that, uh, input is, Thrown aside. 
because this is a this is again a you know a recurring idea that people from the big city are gonna just discount anything that the small town sheriff has to say. I feel like the the big city police captain. I think that's just sort of the actor that you hired whenever you needed someone to play an asshole back then. Like I think whenever someone was a dick on the Twilight Zone, they would just be like, "Get me this guy, the guy who plays this captain." Well, let's take a look. Let's yeah. take a look at the Manhunt. Play uh, Captain Barker, played by Ken Lynch. Let's take a look at uh, Ken Lynch's other like. I mean, Ken Lynch had a pretty long career. He went all the way into like the original uh, Battlestar Star Galactica. It was on. Uh, looks it looks like he does a lot of co- of cop stuff. Oh, he was a, he was a regular on Gunsmoke. Yeah, I feel like just I when hearing his voice. It just sounds like the archetypal voice of a cop being a dick. Yeah, and he was on he was on Bonanza. Like this guy went on in Adam and Twelve. Yeah, he's de- the reason why he's because he's played every dick cop you ever saw for about forty years. I guarantee that he oh, played a dick cop somehow on Mash. Like he was a military <laughs> police officer who who hassled Klinger. Uh oh, and uh, looks like looks like we're gonna see a lot of him. It looks like he's got at least four more appearances on mm-hmm. the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, playing different characters, including an FBI agent. Hell uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Man, then there's going to be a serial killer in Mayberry. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be the profiler. Manhunt two. <laughs> I want. I want to get to the later episode where they're running out of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's going to be a murder in Mayberry eventually, right? Because we're it's, I we're partway through like partway through season one. They've done. A, they've gone through a lot of crimes, <laughs> but fucking. All like, right. So so the uh, the the city or the state cops show up, uh, they basically, like, make Barney feel like shit. And to be honest, here's the thing, right? Like, I realize that we're supposed to be against the state police for, like, looking down on the yokels, but when one of those two yokels is Barney Fife? Yeah. Like, you have every reason to discard what these men are saying. I mean, pretty justifiably discard them, because one of them is Barney Fife, and the other one marveled about magnets for (laughs) 20 fucking minutes. I would not listen to that man about anything he does, like, like Andy Griffith pretty immediately establishes that he's a moron <laughs> who should not be listened to in something as delicate as a manhunt. <laughs> like, absolutely not. I pretty throughout the entire thing, I was pretty on the side of like the this police chief, uh, the the police captain wants to do things by the book and according to regulation. Which, during a manhunt, I feel is a pretty good call. Pretty appropriate time to follow regulations. You don't do a manhunt like jazz. Like, you don't... <laughs> there's no there's no improving a manhunt. Yeah! Like, like Andy Griffith is like, let's play this fast and loose. And, like... Like, fucking no! Barney Fife at this point is like Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Like, look how he's playing. Now he's now he's gonna take over a thing over here, and I'll listen to the notes he doesn't play. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, like throughout the whole thing, like the the cop is a dick, but and we're we're presented as like like he he's the the cop is played by the guy who archetypally plays shithead cops. Yeah. But like throughout the entire thing, he's just doing his job pretty by the goddamn letter and getting frustrated with these yokels who keep taking a shit in his manhunt. Like <laughs> Alright, so what's the next thing that happens? Uh he basically uh, leaves it to 
but, uh, to Andy and uh, Barney, like, if you want to do the back roads, do whatever you want. No, 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 no. no. Uh, he basically says, stay here, man the radio. At which point, uh, Andy and Barney just kind of hang out in the station and are like, ah, well, you know, they're just saving us for the big showdown. Which- right, right. Oh, we, sh- we should mention at this point that Opie has a role here. Because Opie's the one that's like, I bet my, bet my pa can catch him. My pa's the smartest lawman on the planet, right? I mean, at one point early in the episode, Opie says, you're more important than any other person in the entire world. And Andy Griffith only half talks him out of it. He's eh. like, yeah, like, and Andy Griffith enjoys not telling his son that he's the most important person in the universe, which later bites him in the ass when the son is like, Holy, hold on. You're the most important person in the universe. Why the fuck are you getting sidelined on this manhunt? I mean, to be honest, I feel like that's a recurring theme in this is like, Andy does something kind of dumb but well-meaning with his son and then it bites him in the ass ten minutes later. Andy Griffith teaches his son a super shitty lesson that his son then acts on and Andy Griffith needs to scramble to half-solve it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a recurring plot line throughout yeah. In fact, we'll keep track of it. Including the Amber Alert that Andy Griffith causes. Correct. We we cannot... Yeah, going that's going to gonna be episode four. We're just going to call it the Amber Alert. We're going to build to it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so basically they post up and they, they lick their wounds and they're content to just contribute helpfully to the manhunt. And then Opie essentially comes in, like it's an Along Came the Spider thing, where Opie comes in and gets right up in Andy Griffith's ego and starts, like... Really just turning the screws <laughs> on Andy Griffith's sense of self and importance. Like, if you're so, if, if you're at all valuable as a man and a human being, why are you not allowed in this manhunt, Pa? What sort of, uh, of self-respecting adult would allow himself to not be in this manhunt? I'm strongly implying that I'll stop viewing you as a father figure if you don't catch this criminal. It's literally, like, like, everyone, in. In, everyone in this fucking show is emotionally manipulated by this toddler. And then Opie essentially leads a parade of townspeople like, come on in and call my dad a pussy. Like, <laughs> yes. like come on in, bumpkins. Talk shit on this man, on this sheriff until he does something wildly irresponsible. This supports my theory that maybe Opie is a sociopath. Like, oh, you know what? Point hey. of evidence two. Mm, mm. You know what? Your original concept was maybe Andy Griffith is the devil? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I, that red-headed bastard is the devil. Andy Griffith is just a man who is being tempted. I think Apple does not fall far from the tree. I'm just trying to figure out who the fuck the, who the, fuck the tree is. Oh, yeah, I okay, can't yeah. figure out who the original evil is. They're both bad people. <laughs> All right. So, so, what, so, Dan, what do they do in response to this? In response to this... Uh, Andy Griffith then takes a very loose uh, stance with the law and is like, well, you know, we can break chain of command in a dire emergency situation and go out and try to find this escaped convict ourselves. Reloads Don Knotts' gun. Right. He had previously taken all the bullets out because Don Knotts, as we mentioned earlier, accidentally discharged his weapon into the ground inches away from his son's face. Yeah. Like... Like, Opie is, was an arm's length away from Don Knotts when Don Knotts' firearm went off. And then after that, Andy Griffith says, All right, give me your gun. I'm going to reload this and send you out amongst the general populace. So they set up a roadblock on mm-hmm. one of the roads that was being ignored by state police, right? One of the Again, originally, not a bad idea. 
Sure. Yeah. They set up a roadblock. They set up a roadblock with Barney in charge. That's the bad idea. <laughs> so Barney is pulling over everyone. Now, not to be fair to Barney, we were just talking about how this is a time when you should follow regulations. But Barney pulls over literally his own mother. Yeah. And frisks her. And like, accuses her of being, not accuses, but presents it as a very realistic possibility that she is the convict in a very realistic mask. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is also a gag that I saw on Brooklyn Nine-Nine two days ago. So, you know, it more things change the more they stay the same. Yeah. Um, so Barney is, you know, he's using his authority. He's very excited that he can finally, like, push people around and Barney stop their cars. Barney is rock hard through this oh, entire just, scene exercising just, his authority over his mother, the mayor, just, and a random farmer. Just a quivering boner. Yeah. <laughs> Barney, back in there. Barney like, the whole, the whole man is an erection. this entire scene. Except for when the criminal actually shows up. Yeah. Right. Uh, the... At which point, the the criminal, who is actually, they got an actor who is legitimately scary. Like, he is a pile of of angry meat, this the, this fucking actor. Yeah, he, so a genuinely, yeah, genuinely terrifying human being. Right? Almost, like, surprisingly scary for, like, uh... Episode two of the Andy Griffith show. I thought it was gonna be, like, some skinny little, like, 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 mustachioed, like, mm. like, greaser evil guy, and it's like... It was a guy that I would be afraid of today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was, this was a scary looking dude. Bas- uh, and, comes uh, over the hill and basically beats the living shit out of Barney Fife and takes his gun. Yep, leaves him tied up naked by the side of the road. Now, I will say this, though, to Andy's credit, Andy was right about the road. Yeah, <laughs> you did make the right call, but he left a... He left Barney Fife, the very disqualified officer, who he only hired because he is his fucking cousin in charge of this road so he, he put a super like again it's sort of like this weird thing of like excusing super shitty cops where it's like it, yeah so it, so now so now our escaped convict has a gun yeah which and and they they explain that to the police captain who justifiably chews them out like yeah super justifiably like you guys have armed this escaped dangerous convict Putting every, not only all of his men, but the entire town in danger. And and literally, it comes back to the thing of nothing in Mayberry matters except people's feelings. Because at no point does anyone mention the convict is dangerous now. They're just like, ah, we really goofed and no one respects me and I have not been shown. The, like, I'm, I'm really sad and also Opie doesn't respect me and Barney's sad and... We're not going to mention the dangerous man who can kill six people now as a result of my actions. Yeah. 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 Nothing in Mayberry, not, not Mayberry, nothing in this show matters, even when it matters. I I gotta be honest, man, I, I'm i glad you mentioned that because I feel like the same people who praise Mayberry are also the facts, not feelings crowd. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most feelings heavy show imaginable. All that anyone cares about is each other. Not not each other's feelings, really. Their own feelings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or the, just the general feelings of the time. Mayberry's a cult. Yeah. Mayberry's a fucking cult. And we'll we'll get into that. Uh, that's going to be another recurring theme. Yeah. But, all right. So, uh, the next thing that happens, they've... So now they, they dock them this. So, what happens next, Dan? So, after that, uh, Andy comes up with this great idea of where he thinks the criminal is going to go. 
based off of a pie on a windowsill, which I don't know if originated the trope of irresistible pies on old ladies. No, no, that was that was a thing from a long time ago. It, yeah, right, yeah, but. But again, right? Like it's 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 hobo time. Yeah, no, like the, he uses hobo logic to to hunt down the the escaped convict. Yeah, they, right. They go to the house where an old woman always has pies on her windowsill. His logic is, uh, even a non-starving man can't resist the taste of one of the uh, the smell of one of those pies. It's a fucking Hostess fruit pie ad from the comics of the nineteen eighties. Yeah, like it's, it's it's one of those ads where it's just like Green Lantern's gonna save us with Twinkies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, they use... Green Lanterns couldn't do that because Twinkies are yellow, but, you know, whatever. I think it was usually Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Hostess Fruit Pie. Yeah. Oh, God. But they... So they go to the house where the convict is currently holding a woman hostage at gunpoint. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay, so they go to the door. They talk to the... uh, They talk to the woman whose pie they presume had been stolen very immediately surmise that she is being held hostage because this woman who is normally very talkative isn't very talkative. Also, her eyes are screaming the entire conversation. Right. They go... And let's go ahead and point this out. Like, this is a good scene, right? Yeah. Like, like that woman and that, that the convict, they played this very well, right? And... and- but the the freaky thing is, this woman is in a life and death scenario, undoubtedly scared shitless, and Andy Griffith is unbreakingly like still aw shucks the same as he was about putting ham on your bait to catch fish like he he like he he is unwaveringly chipper in the face of a woman who is staring down like 60% chance of death he looks her in the eye and does not help and and puts out bait so that uh the uh the the convict will eventually land himself in that Chekhov's boat established earlier. Right, right. He's he and rather than rather than get on the radio and call back and say he's at this house, he he sets up a, a like a trail of breadcrumbs leading this man, this convict, to the boat. He says something like, Well listen, whatever you do, don't tell that convict that I have a boat yeah. out on the lake. And like yeah, he 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 established and it's it's a pretty good instance of sort of community-based policing and de-escalation of violence. But it, on the other hand, he just left that woman there. He just walked the fuck away from a place where he knew a dangerous convict was holding a woman at gunpoint and just, like, strolled whistling away. He had absolutely no assurances in the fucking world that that convict was not going to shoot that woman in the face before trying to steal that boat. Yeah, like, they don't, do they even say what this man was, like, in prison for? No, but yeah. it looked like it was murder. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, by the way, I'm looking up the actor who played, uh, our escape convict. Uh, the character's name is Derrickson. The actor's name was Frank Gersel. And again, it looks like he also had a career, like, well into the 70s. Playing kind of the bad guys in all these. Once again, he's on Gunsmoke, you know, um, Perry Mason Leo. It was a good time for character actors. Can really, we just take season. a moment and marinate in how kick ass a name that is? Was it Frank Gressel? Frank Gersel. Gersel, still good. Yeah, right? It's a, it's a good name. Frank Gersel, that's a, like a. That's a hard boiled name. That's a hard, that's a, like, that's a detective name. Yeah. That's a detective name you don't see much these days. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. God damn it. Yeah, damn, looks like he would have had a longer career, but he died in 1970, age 54. How did he die, Marty? 
in a hail of bullets. Yeah. Like, there's no fucking way. In a punch tornado. <laughs> he had all the blood punched out of his body. Narrating about the woman that he lost. Yeah. He we, died in black and white. Like, he died the way he lived, terrifyingly. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. So, he, he leads this trail. And, yeah, he just abandons that woman. Yeah. He leaves that woman to die. Yeah. Like, just, by all accounts, that woman, like, what is, the convict should shoot that woman in the face. Like, if I'm, like, that would, that was the logical move yeah, to yeah. kill her. No witnesses, right? And he never goes back to check. Yeah. He's never like, let's go make sure that Margaret's alive. Does Margaret not have a back door, dude? Like, can you maybe... Send, send Barney around the back and help you get lucky? I don't know. Honestly, like, we're taking it completely on face value that she wasn't immediately killed just because it's Mayberry, but there's no scene of her tied up. There's no evidence, yeah. So, it's entirely possible that, that Andy Griffith just got a woman murdered. Yeah, which is now what happened in my fucking head. Oh, that's, that's the headcanon. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're starting a tally Andy Griffith hypothetical body count. All right. It's gonna be high. So then Andy, like, radios, now he radios the chief, or the captain mm-hmm. of police, says, we encountered him, we don't know where he's at, but we know where he's gonna be. Mm-hmm. And he takes everyone to the lake. The yeah. pond. And I gotta say, I wonder, like, where did this convict think he was gonna go? He, he said, like, you take that boat out past, out across the lake and it's clear shooting. Again, mini golf course sized lake. Literally, he has covered, like, he's he's covered, uh, like, I think a quarter mile in boat speed, so slower than walking. Right. He probably could have walked around this pond at the same speed or faster. He could have just gone in the lake. (laughs) Yeah. But Chekhov's gun fulfilled. Uh, He, the boat sinks. He swims back to shore. Like at one point, one of the deputies is about to shoot. Yeah, they've uh, they've got it. They've got him in crosshairs, right? And it is sort of a um. It's one of those it like point you against O'Reilly. Andy Griffith aggressively de-escalates a situation of a man being shot. Right. O'Reilly would probably be like, "Fire away!" Like, (laughs) like, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in this in this scenario, they're watching from the road. They watch this man get in the boat. And start to paddle away, and the uh, the chief, the captain's just like, "What are you doing? You're letting him get away!" And like just chewing him out. And Andy's like, "Just wait, just wait." Yeah, like this this is a game for him because he's used to game crime. He's Bugs Bunnying. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And one of the uh, one of the other deputies straight out takes a fucking rifle. Yeah, yeah. Just all right. I got a like like it's like I got a clear shot on him. Yeah. Captain. Again, remember. The last episode of this show was about a woman who didn't know how to play baseball. Yeah, no, there is a there is a sniper rifle aimed at a man's head. There are so many guns in episode two, where the first one was whether or not a woman knew how to fish. Yeah. And even beginning of this episode, he is debating the merits of using ham as a lure with which to catch fish. That is like the opening crawl, and by the end, Andy Griffith is saving a man's life. Andy Andy Griffith's de-escalation process is completely insane. Because, like, he never actually, we've pointed out, he never actually addresses what a dangerous scenario they're in. I mean, so, actually, something I I, want to bring up is, in in episode two of the Andy Griffith show, Manhunt, 
Manhunt! He actually sort of exhibits uh, law enforcement practices that Bill O'Reilly would hate in that he aggressively uh, does community-based policing. He essentially employs his knowledge of the community and his connection with the people around it. And de-escalation! And that and that's that's a big thing, right? Uh, Andy is a community member. The way he polices is by walking around, not in an, in an aggressive way, but he's there to uphold every part of the community. And he does have a big. That's that's part of why he doesn't carry a gun. Part of why he ca- doesn't carry a gun is he would rather have people respect him than fear his gun. Yeah. And so, and that is like that's a lesson in like police work that. Uh, your conservatives, your good guy with a gun advocates, would fucking hate. Yeah. And and admittedly, he does, while he's doing this, he is also flagrantly breaking the law. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he, I mean, Andy Griffiths should be fucking fired by this point. Grossly! Like, he, within the first half of episode two, he should be fired. But it sort of feels like there were two lessons in in this episode of Andy Griffith Show, one about community-based uh, policing and de-escalation, and the other one about how the law is flexible and don't worry about it. And That's going to be a regular theme in the Andy Griffith Show. America yeah. sort of learned the wrong lesson from the Andy Griffith Show in this instance. And I feel like in almost every episode of the Andy Griffith Show, there were two lessons. One that was good and one that was horrific. And America pretty often learned lesson two while thinking they were learning lesson one. All right, so Dan, we should come up with a way to like rate these episodes. So I'm thinking like like an X Y axis kind of thing. Like one is we'll, we'll call we'll call it the Andy meter, which is like mm-hmm. how good is this episode, mm-hmm. and the FIFO meter, which yeah. is how horrifying is this episode. Okay. So so on uh so let's start let's start with episode one, the new housekeeper. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, Andy's how how good? It, like, what's the quality of this? I think it's. it's I fine. mean, is is quality like how uh, how morally repugnant it is, or uh, or just like how how pleasant it is to like, watch? Like, did did you enjoy watching this episode? I I kind of didn't. I got a couple of chuckles out of it. I I fought mm. my way through it. it yeah, I like, I didn't think this was going to be a thing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that's a. Two Andes? Okay, I'm, I'm going to be generous and give it three Andes. Yeah. Three Andes. Now, the FIFO meter, also, like... Also, also very low. Also very low. We're going to call uh, it... Uh, you know, actually, I'll say three Fifes, just because they initially established that Barney was hired strictly from nepotism and has PTSD. Okay. So, three, right. three Fifes. All right. I mean, he doesn't really do anything in this, so I'm going to say 1.5 Fifes. He's pretty mm. benign, but they set the stage for him to do some fucked up shit. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. All right, so, like, on that XY axis, on the Fife versus Andy meter, he's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, episode two, Manhunt! Manhunt! <laughs> I'm never going to not scream that. <laughs> of course not. I'm watching our level spike on this thing. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, episode two, Manhunt. Andy meter. How good is this episode? Oh, fuck it. It's so good. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's, it rules. I, I want to say nine because... <laughs> Later episodes are better, but it's it's a nine, and in terms of moral repugnancy, it is it's 
Uh, okay, it's an even five fifes because for every horrible thing we witness, something good, again, like some really positive police practices done by Andy Griffith. So it sort of balances out. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll agree with you on five fifes. I don't know if I want to go straight up to a nine, simply because I don't know if we have a big enough sample size to yes. really determine. But yeah, I'll say I'll say like an eight. I liked watching this episode. It's entertaining. It rules. Like, we- it's also just so... My favorite part of this is, like, it's such an intense situation that no one is handling with any sense of intensity. No! It feels like even the, like, all, I, I think it's a reoccurring thing of people from outside Mayberry looking at people in Mayberry being like, why are you not freaking out? Yeah! Which, like, why are you not upset by this? Yeah, like, just every, every, like, the police chief and all the officers are constantly in a, like, have a facial expression of, like, what the fuck? There's a manhunt. There's a murderer in your town. Why are you people so chill and petty about this? I mean, if anything, Barney is the only one who is, like, responding with the appropriate level of excitement. Yeah, like, and only... But be- it's just completely misplaced. Yeah, only because, Bar- like, the situation has finally reached Barney's emotional level. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the problem, right? Barney is always at episode two. Barney is perpetually in a state of manhunt. Yeah, Bar- Barney is always at episode two level of excitement, when most of the time everyone's at episode one level of behavior. I I, think. I wonder, is there uh, some sort of medical condition for being in an escalated state of crisis? Yeah, that's, during... I mean, that's literally a symptom, that's PTSD, right? Yeah. That's literally a symptom of PTSD. Yeah. He, he's he's in a situation of manhunt, as far as I can tell, for the remainder of the show. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, we can't really say. I, I should say that um, we I, uh, I at least stopped watching at episode 7 because I had to stop watching. Because episode 7 is so toe-curlingly insane that I almost <laughs> broke the TV. <laughs> and I, like, I'm, I think I'm going to need the time it takes us to get past episode 7 to be able to talk about literally anything else. Alright, so that's a teaser for an upcoming episode. If we do, if we do two episodes per podcast, that'll be like episode 4 of the podcast. And then season, episode 7 will be the next three episodes. <laughs> Alright, well, that is it for this trial run of The Fishing Hole. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around with us. If you want to hear more, you can uh, check us out. We'll put some like Twitter links up there, but you can contact me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Schneid Remarks. That's S C H N E I D Remarks. You can read my work and the work of other fine critics at Front Row Central. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me at the Luds on Twitter. I really got to change that handle. I love at the Luds, <laughs> and quite frankly, dude, you there should you should have more followers because your stuff is hilarious. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. So thank you for joining us on the Fish Hole. We'll join you next time we make a little trip to Mayberry. Until then, y'all come back. Now you hear that's a different show. I don't is, care. Is the outro just going to be the Andy Griffith theme? Is, it, is there whistling can right we, now can in the we, background? Uh, if we can avoid getting sued, yeah. I think we can just do someone like covering us whistling. Well, I was gonna like do a little tune like singing off tune so we don't get sued. Singing off tune so we don't get sued. We'll, we'll pay someone very little money to do a cover and it'll <laughs> technically be parody. Also, I want this entire conversation to just be like in the thing. In the background. Of yeah, the... no, like right now there is someone currently doing whistling <laughs> as I'm talking about how little we're going to do pay them a, to do a the bottle? Whistling. I could probably just do it right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, we're, I insist that we underpay a person to do